this week's Parsha, Parsha's Chai Sarah. Right at the beginning of the Parsha, we're told that Sarah dies. And she dies in Kiryas Arba, which is Chevron, which is an Eretz Canaan. And Avram comes to give a hesped for Sarah and to cry for her. So what does it mean, Vayavai Avraham? He was coming from somewhere. Vayavai Avraham, it should have said, Avraham, Safad, Ubacha. Why does it say that Avraham came? That he came from somewhere, Vayavai Avraham. So the Medrash touches on this, and the Medrash says, Mehechan Ba. Where is Avram coming from? What does it mean, Avram Ba? Vayavai Avram. Where is he coming from, Avram? And the Medrash tells us that he's coming from Haram Iriya. Meharam Iriya. Avram Avinu was coming from Haram Iriya. And that's where he came from in order to give a hesped for Sarah and to cry over her. Now what does this mean? What is the Medrash trying to tell us? If you look in the Medrash inside, the Medrash is saying something that's, that we all know. The Medrash continues and says that the Satan came to Sarah Imenu. This is right after the Parsha's HaKedah. The end of last week's Parsha was Parsha's Vayera, Parsha's HaKedah. Avram, of course, was about to shaft his son. In the end, the Malach stopped him and he didn't shaft his son. But the Satan went and told Sarah Imenu, did you hear the news? You heard what happened? And she says, no, I didn't hear what happened. Oh my gosh. You really didn't hear? Avram went to Shech Yitzchak on the Akedah. Sarah heard that, and she sort of, because she was so stressed out, and she had such a, you know, a fear of what this Satan was telling her, that she had a heart attack and she died. By the way, parenthetically, Rapinkus learns from this, how important it is when we are telling somebody, when we're reporting news to somebody else, how you have to do it in a smart way. A lot of times, you know, I get a call from, let's say, one of my kids' schools. Uh, you know, in the middle of the day, all of a sudden, I see on my, on my phone, it says the number of, you know, one of my kids' schools. And why would they call? You know, I mean, my parents got calls about me and I knew it was because, you know, they knew right away what it was about. They knew, you know, I was thrown out of this class, that class. And so if that happened to you, you too could be a mashkiach someday. <laughs> but, you know, my kids are, can I know, are pretty good kids. So, you know, when I get a call, I know there's probably only one thing that happened. You know, they, they you know, something medical. And, and there's different ways that I get the phone call when it comes the smart people that call, they say, Rabbi Damberger, everything is fine. Which, of course, a little bit makes you more nervous, but, you know, <laughs> but at least they say everything is okay you know, on a certain level. And then, you know, uh, you know, one of your kids you know, tripped and fell, and we just put a band-aid on, but you should know that you know, everything is okay. That's, that's the good way of doing it. But sometimes people don't have seichel, and they call and they say, we have to tell you something, Rabbi Damberger. Like, you're like, you know... <laughs> 
and you know you're expecting like the worst. You don't know what's what's about to hit you, and then like eventually it comes out that you know your kid got a paper cut. But by the time that they get that out, your mind is like racing and thinking about a million different things, and it's very scary. But Pinkett says you learn from this parasha. We we learn so many things from Sefer Bereshit. But even these, not the big things, the akedah and the sacrifice, Mr. Snefesh, but even these small day-to-day things we can learn if we have, you know, glasses that are able to see between the lines. There's so much to be gleaned from these parashas. And this is an important lesson. The Sultan, you know why Sarah died? Because the Sultan came and said it in the worst way possible, as you'd expect the Sultan to break news. Uh, you didn't hear uh, a terrible thing happened, and you know, whatever it is. Yitzchak, Shechted, Akedon, like she's like, oh my gosh, what happened? He, if he was a nice guy to Sutton, he would have come and said, Sarah, everything's okay, Yitzchak's coming home. But you should probably want to know, you know, that this happened, that happened, that's okay. But you don't say it in a way like a very, you know, provocative way of saying something to try to like get maximum, you know, nervousness out of the situation, which many people do in life. That's not the way to do it. Anyway, but the Medrash says that that's the, the smichas hakra, and Rashi brings us the reason why the end of last week's parsha was the akeda, and the beginning of this week's parsha is that Sarah died, because... Sarah's death was directly traceable to the Akedah. But that's the smichas aparshias. Why do we also have to say, Vayavay Avram, Avram came from Haram If it's just to tell us this, the Medrash itself says that that's because the two parshias are juxtaposed to each other. When it says, Vayavay Avram, we know already that he's coming from Haram then. So why does the Medrash have to tell us, and why does the Pasuk have to say that he was coming from Hara Maria? Clearly, there seems to be more of a message here in terms of the fact that he was coming from Hara Maria to give a hesped to Sarah and to cry and to misabel over. There's something about Hara Maria that served almost like a preparation for the hesped that he would be giving to Sarah, the Bechia, and the Eva, all of that, there was a bridge from Hara Maria to Hebron, which was the Mokkaim of the Kfura of Sarah. And that's what we're going to be speaking about today, Mitz Hashem. What is the, what is the Vayave Avram? What was the preparation coming from Hara Maria? How is Hara Maria a preparation for being Miss Abel over a mace? Now, before we give that answer, we have to go on a detour because we have to fill up 45 minutes for a schmooze. I'm joking. This is actually a pretty important introduction to the schmooze. Um, what is Hara Maria? What is Hara Maria? I can't tell you all my secrets. Hara Maria is obviously a very important place in history. I mean, every day on the front page of every newspaper in the world, you don't speak about, you know, Rwanda, even though there's, you know, thousands of people getting murdered there every week, every month. You don't speak about different places in Australia and, and in, in, uh, in, in Antarctica and in, in Russia and in uh, Poland. That's, you know, whatever is happening in all those countries, it's pretty much like maybe it's page B32 in the New York Times. 
But every single day, on the front cover of every paper in the world, Yerushalayim, 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 Harabayas, Kaisel, that's the center of the universe. The center of the universe, the obsession of the world, the nucleus of the world, the focus of the world, the epicenter of the world, is Yerushalayim, it's Maria. period. Everybody is obsessed with Yerushalayim. Everybody is obsessed with Har Maria and the Harabayas and the Makkama Mikdash. What is Har Maria exactly? Is it just another mountain in the world? Is there Mount Everest and Mount Washington and then there's Har Maria? What is the significance of Har Maria? So, first of all, historically, Har Maria was really where the world started from. And the Rambam writes in Hilchas Beis Abachira uh, gives us a little history lesson how the dirt that was taken by Akhishvahu to form Ad Marishain was the Makim HaMizbeach. It was from the place of the Mizbeach of Haramaria. And then when Adam was born, was created, and he built the Mizbeach Hashem, Haramaria. And then when Nayach built his Mizbeach, guess where that was? Haramaria. The Akedah was Haramaria. And then throughout history, the Makim that David HaMelech built, the Beis HaMikdash, the first Beis HaMikdash, the second Beis HaMikdash, Haramaria is historically the most important piece of real estate in the world, bar none. What is the Lashon of Har HaMariya? Har HaMariya, says the Medrash, is from a Lashon of Myra. What does Myra mean? Myra means to point. Like a Lashon we find in Chazal a lot, Myra Be'etzva. If you point to something, with your finger, that's called Meir Betzva. You're pointing with your finger. Meir means to point. Hara Maria is the place that you could point straight up because that is the Makkah of the Kisei Kavid. There is Yerushalayim Shalmata and it's Mechoven Kinege Yerushalayim Shalmala. Yerushalayim is the ear Shechubra Loyachov. It's a city which is connected. There's a connection between heaven and earth, and it runs right through Yerushalayim. If you want to know where in the world is the closest place that I could touch heaven, the closest place would be on the top of Hara Maria, because that is where Shamayim and Aretz interface. That's why on Shoish, Regalim, Bashana, Klal Yisrael goes up, Leiroi, Spnei Hashem. To see Hashem, you can't do that anywhere else in the world. The only place that you could do that is Har Maria, where you could point the etzba and say, wow, that's HaKadosh Baruch You'd be able, if you'd have the right eyes, to see the Kisei HaKavid right straight up, due north from Har Maria. <coughs> When he fell asleep on a certain place, he didn't know where he was. He had a dream about a sulam, about a ladder that's Mutzav Arza, with its legs perched on the terra firma over here. 
he wakes up by I didn't know. I didn't know that there was God in the place that I was sleeping. How awesome, how terrifying is this place? This is a Basilikim. I didn't know that I was sleeping on the top of Maria. And this is the gateway to heaven. Everything that goes through heaven, goes to heaven, goes via Yerushalayim. Every one of our tefillahs. That's why we dive in towards Yerushalayim. You know why? Because the way it works is we think that we dive in and it goes straight up north to Hashem. It's not true. All of our tefillahs go first to Yerushalayim. They pass through the Shara Shemayim in Yerushalayim and then they go up. Because the Hara Maria is the place that heaven and earth unite. There's a Pasuk in Shir Hashirim. The Pasuk in Shir Hashirim says, Kimigdal David Savarich. Like the Migdal, like the tower of King David, of David Amelech, is your neck. What is your neck? Rashi, the Mepharshim say, the Medrash says in Shir Hashirim, Zeh Beis HaMikdash. The neck is the Beis HaMikdash. It's the Makam HaMikdash. Why is the neck the part of the anatomy that we use to, to, uh, as a muscle for the Beis HaMikdash? Because what is a neck? A neck is the makim hachibur. It's the place that attaches the head to the rest of the body. It goes through the neck. You need a neck to attach the rice and the guf. What is a neck? Is a neck part of the, the head, part of the body? Unclear. It's in the middle. It's a connecting anatomy. It's a part of the anatomy that connects the head and the neck. It's not really, it's not, it's not the head, it's not the body, it's just a connecting force. That's the Beis HaMikdash. The Reish is in Shemayim, the body is down here, Kaviyachal, and then the Beis HaMikdash is the neck of the world because that's the Makam HaChibur. It's the connection between El Yainim and Tachtainim touched at the neckline, which is Yerushalayim. That's why the famous encounter between Yosef and Benyamin, when they haven't seen each other ever, and now they cry on one another's necks. Vayipal Benyamin al tzavar al tzavar Yosef bacha vayet, or Yosef did that to Benyamin. Benyamin bacha al tzavarav. What does Rashi say from the Gemara that they were crying over what on the base hamikdash? The base hamikdash was in the chelik of. Binyamin, two Beis HaMikdash, that's Savarov. He cried on his necks. He was being misabel over the future Chorban Beis HaMikdash. Again, we see that the neck is the muscle of the Beis HaMikdash because of this reason. It's the connection, it's the glue that holds heaven to earth, that holds the head to the body. That's what the Maria is. Now that we know what Hara Maria is, and that's the place that Abraham Avinu was coming from, now I think we can have a little bit more of an understanding in where he was going to. He was going to be Miss Abel over his wife, who he loved so much, she died, and he was going to cry and be masked and be Miss Abel over her. 
But if you would not be coming from Har Maria, it would have been an altogether different husband. And it would have been an altogether different Avelos. Because human beings don't really understand naturally what death is. And only if you have the Ashkafa of Ahara Maria can you really appreciate what death is and what it's not. And this is a very important shmooz today because, Leolena, we should not know from any death in any form or another. Nothing. But death happens to be, whether we like to think about it or not, hopefully we don't like to think about it, but death is a fact of life. And I'm sure everybody in this room has either lost a grandparent or a great-grandparent perhaps, or uh, maybe Rahman Litzlan, a parent or a friend, or a Rebbe, or somebody that you were close to in Shul. Everybody. I remember when I was a kid, it was very uncommon you know, for me to know people that, you know, that then died. But when I did, it was like, to me, it was like a traumatic experience. I remember the first person was a friend of mine's grandfather. We used to dive in and shul together and very nice guy. And he was very helpful to me, you know, with, you know, davening and, and uh, whatever, I, whatever I needed in shul, he was always very friendly. And then he died. That was the first person I think that I remember dying, you know, that I knew well. And to me, it was like a very traumatic experience. Like, what does that mean? A person dies? And like, you know, then what happens to them? Where do they go? And how come I'm not seeing him anymore? And like, you know, and then you grow up and then, you know, you get used to more people dying and then you read about wars and you read about the Holocaust and you begin to like just not think about it. But it's a very major part of life. Death is a major part of life and it's something that as B'nai Taira, as Jewish people, we have to know what is the Taira how does the Torah perceive death? What is death itself, and how do we react to death? And how are we supposed to look at people, you know, when they die, when they pass on? How do we perceive that? And it might not be the most comfortable or inspirational topic, but it's an important topic to roll up our sleeves and try to deal with. Especially in Parshas Chayesar, which deals not only with the death of Sari Menu, but also the death of Avram Avinu later in the Parsha. One of the major Bali Musar of the Musar movement was the Birucham Lubavitz, who wrote a sefer called Das Taira, which we learn on during the Wednesday night vads. And I think those of you that participate in the Wednesday Night Vods understand and get a, a little bit of an appreciation for how great Rabbi Yuchum's Machshava was. And he gr- brings great stories into his Sefer also so that it's not so dry the Musar. He actually brings personal examples. Rabbi Yuchum was like a giant of Musar. And he was, of course, the world-famous Mashiach in the Mir Yeshiva in Poland which was, of course, the, the, the mother of the Mir Yeshiva in, 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 in Eretz Yisrael, in Yushalayim, and in Brooklyn, New York, the Mir in Shanghai. All of this came from the Mir in Poland, which was one of the major, major yeshivas in, the, in Europe at the time. Rabbi Rucham writes, and it's a very famous piece, 
Um, he writes about the Torah's perspective on death. What does the Torah view death? How? And he writes a letter to his nephew. His nephew lived in America. Now, today, you know, America, we live in America, and we look at, you know, America as being a major part of the world. Back then, when Avruchim wrote this letter, you know, there weren't that many Yidin that were living in America, and it was like, Mamashu's me'eva ayam. Everyone was in Europe. Very few people were in America. But he had a nephew already back then that lived in America, and his father died, meaning that's Rabbi brother. So Rabbi writes a letter to his nephew, consoling him over his father's loss. And also at the same time, giving him Musr and Hadracha and how to deal with the loss of a father. This letter, by the way, and, and another one that hopefully we'll have time to speak out was in my Safer Great Jewish Letters, available at better Jewish bookstores, and um, Hanukkah is coming up. But um, I digress. There is no letter that I got more feedback about in this entire Safer, and I have about 120 letters in here. No letter made a bigger reshim on people than this one letter. I was shocked. I was like, I thought that there were, you know, I, I would think other letters. But um, Almanis and Yisaimim wrote to me and called me and told me that this letter changed their entire life. Because they were being misabel over their relative and they didn't even know how to do it. And they had it all wrong. It created like a sea change in people's understanding of how to relate to people that die. How do we view them? Do we view them as people that are in the ground and we are never going to see them again and we have no shaykhahs to them and now it's like a loss that we can't deal with, we can't bear because I was so close to this person and now this person is gone? Or is it something different? What does the Torah say about this? Not what psychologists say about it, and not what grief counselors say about it, and not what social workers say about it, and not what all the Chachme Ume Sa'ilam say about it, and not what our own gut says about it. What is the Torah's view on this? He quotes something from the Arachayim HaKadosh in Parashat Bechukaisai. He says, I have recently seen the comments of the Arachayim HaKadosh, says Rabbi Yerucham, who explains that death should be understood as simply moving from one city to another. The way that we should look at somebody who dies is not that, oh my gosh, he's dead, he's gone, he's buried, I'll never see him, he's not in this world anymore, he's in like some, you know, he's a million miles away, No. He says, the way you should look at it, he's quoting the Arachayim HaKadosh. He's not making this up himself. If he would make it up himself, it would be equally as chashim in my eyes. But he's not. He's quoting a Kadma. He's quoting the Arachayim HaKadosh. And he says as follows, that when you look at somebody who dies, you don't look at it as somebody, he's gone, he's finished, it's the end of him, he's not in this universe anymore, you look at it as if he just simply moved. 
if let's say you'd have a friend who he graduates from Lander College and then he goes uh, you know, back home to Florida or to California or to Chicago or he moves there to Israel or to England or to Belgium, you'd say, okay, fine, I can deal with that. He's just living somewhere else. Not gone forever. He's, you know, he's just a phone call away. I could email him. I could write him. I could Skype him. He's, he's just, he just moved. When a person dies, and this is obviously a hard concept, and we'll try to speak out some of the problems of this concept, but when a person dies, that's the way you should look at it, says the Torah. You look at it as if just the person moved. Yeah, yesterday you were able to dive next to him, you were able to eat a suda with him, today you can't. But he didn't move. He didn't die and he's gone. He moved somewhere else. Yeah, but where did he move? I can't Skype him, and I can't write to him, and I can't talk to him. So Rabbi Rucham says to his nephew, your father, may his memory be blessed, has not died. He is alive. We don't look at death as being something like permanent and gone, finished. He's still alive. Look at him as if he's alive. He has merely moved. And then he says, not only that, he says to the understanding person, there is even more to say. The deceased is now even closer to you than before, for now there are no separations. He is alive. He is now nearby and with us at all times. We must think in these terms and remember him, lest we forget him by considering him to be gone. God forbid. Everything is the same as before. You are in America and he is in distant Europe. Nothing has changed. He has just moved. How can he be forgotten? It's a new look on death. Death is not really death. Death is life. It's just a different form of life. So you're asking probably, wait a minute. So what's Avelis? Right? If, if this is such a like a simple thing to move. When a person, you know, moves to Chicago, you don't make a, you know, you don't make a Hesped, you don't make a Levi, you don't make, you know, you, may, may, you know, maybe the guy gets a Sudaspreda or something if he's lucky, but you don't, you know, you don't make a whole Hesped for him. So why are you making a Hesped and you're sitting Shiva and Shloishim Avelos for a dead person? He's not even alive. He's closer even than before. It's a Simcha. Let's rejoice. So Yerucham says, you're right. You shouldn't have to sit Avelos. Beside yourself, the way to look at it is not to be sad. The only reason, says Yerucham, why we're sitting in Avelos for a dead person is in empathy for his plight. After all, here is a person, when he dies, he goes up to Elam Haba, and Elam Haba it's not an easy din. It's not easy at all. There's a lot to answer for. We have to go through a lifetime of Averis and Chataim and Avainais, a lifetime of Lashon Hara and Rechilos and Nivoteh, a lifetime of Taivas and Yetzaharas. We have a lot to answer for, simply put. And there's a lot of Yisurim that the body goes through. And there's Gehenim perhaps for some. And it's a terrible, terrible experience when we're being misabil 
care for a dead person, it's because we feel bad for him. We love that person, or we love that individual, he or she, and now they have to go through these, you know, a very difficult period. So we commiserate with them, and we sit in Shiva, we mourn for the fact that Nebuchadnezzar, they have to go through this now. But in terms of a loss for us, we shouldn't feel that way. We should not feel that the person is gone and now Nebuch, you know, it's such a loss. That person, in a certain sense, just moved and in a sense he's even closer than he was before. He says, therefore, the children and close relatives of the deceased are instructed to continually think of him and his dire situation. In addition... They should bear in mind how he is eagerly anticipating his children's mitzvahs, which are his only source of merit in his present state, his only source of relief from his dreadful situation. This is the purpose of the Kaddish prayer. I don't know if you've heard me, I don't know how many people were here on Shabbos, but I said a Maisa B'negei Kaddish, that's an amazing story, I think that speaks very well to what we're saying today, that Rav Gifter, Zechitzadik Lebracha was going on a plane with eight Talmidim and they were traveling from Cleveland where his yeshiva and Tal's was together with eight Talmidim to New York for a chasna of a Talmud. And they were all excited. They were going to be misameach, this wonderful friend, this wonderful Talmud by his chasna and they got to go to a gifter and they were up in the air and, you know, short flight from Cleveland to New York. And the captain gets on the plane and says, ladies and gentlemen, the plane unfortunately has to be diverted to Washington National Airport because there's a big storm taking place in New York. We can't land there now. And there was like a huge, like, ah, on the plane. Like everybody was upset. Everybody had to get to New York. And with Gifter and the Talmudim were disappointed here. This Talmud was waiting for his Rebbe and his friends to come. They're going to be the life of the Hasanan. Now they won't be able to come. It was disappointing. But what can you do? So they got off the plane in Washington, D.C. They got into the airport and they asked um, a janitor that was sweeping the hallway if he minds perhaps opening a side room, like a private room, that they could dive in Meyer. They didn't have a minion, they had only nine people. And the person opens up the door for. This, this, not, these nine people, and he stands there, the janitor, the whole time, and after the minion is over, or it's not a minion, but after they finish davening the achidas, but as a group of nine, he says, I don't understand, aren't you guys going to say a kaddish or something? He says, you're Jewish? He says, yeah, I'm Jewish. I, 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 I'm not Jewish, I need to say kaddish. Okay, because I'm saying say kaddish. So, you know, he starts, they help him with the Aramaic, it's not an easy prayer to say, and, but they get through it, and then afterwards they say, like, what's the story? What, what, what's, all, what, what's, this, what's this all about? He says, I would tell you, but you're not going to believe it. No, please. He says, last night I had a dream. My father, who died ten years ago, appeared to me in a dream. My father and I did not get along when he was alive, especially during the last years of his life. We had very bad, stormy relationship. And he died, and I didn't go to his funeral even. That's how, hap- that's, how, that's how not close we were. That's how angry I was with him. 
And I never said Kaddish for him. I never said Shiva for him. Last night was 10 years since he died. And he came to me in a dream. And he said to me, my son, I know that you're angry with me. And I know that you didn't go to my funeral. And I know that you didn't sit Shiva for me. And I know that you didn't say Kaddish for me. But tell me that you'll say Kaddish for me once. Because my neshama needs it. We don't know how a neshama that dies requires children to do mitzvahs, but especially to say Kaddish. There's something about the Kaddish prayer more than anything else that gives the neshama that dies <coughs> some solace and some peace in the next world. He says, you're my only son. I don't have another son to say Kaddish for me. And I'm begging you to say just one Kaddish for my neshama. So the son says, okay, there's only one problem. He says, I don't have a minion. I work the graveyard shift, pardon the pun, at the airport in Washington, D.C. Where am I supposed to find a minion? I'm there day and night. I can't find a minion to say Kaddish. I ain't taken off from work to say Kaddish for you. So he says, let me worry about that. And the next day, what a minion he got. Mordechai gifted the God of Adar together with eight Talmidim plus him. And they said Kaddish and answered Amen for this neshama. A neshama, when it dies, is very close to this world. It's not gone. It's not like a billion miles away. It's like as close as close can be. It's even closer than this world. After all, when, when there's a, a parent and a child or two friends in this world, how close can you be already? Even physicality is distant. You know, you can hug a guy and you can, you know, and you can, you can be close, you can eat together and you can do stuff and play ball, but like, there's just so much closeness that, I, that two human beings can have and so much bonding that they could do. But after a person dies, and if you speak to people, I gave this year Wednesday night to alumni, and somebody said to me that their father died, and this is so true. They feel a certain closeness with a, with, with a parent after they die, perhaps much more than when they were alive. Death is not distant. Death is close. When a person dies, you can feel even a closer relationship with that person. It's moving from place to place, but in a sense, it's even moving closer. And when we're misabo, it's because we feel bad for never the plight that the neshama has to go through and the suffering and the din. But we have to keep things in perspective and understand that as much as we miss the person, if we have the right hashkafas, we'll understand that they're very close to us still. It's not a loss that's, that's you know, unconquerable. It's a loss which is dealable because if you have the right hashkafa, you'll be able to live with it in a much better way. <coughs> There's another letter that sort of uh, goes together with this one. And it was a letter that was written by a Talmud of Rabbi Rucham to his children before he died, obviously he wrote the letter while he was still alive, but imagine having the foresight to write a letter 
to your children to prepare them for how to deal with your death. That's a, that's a pretty big thing. One of the Talmidim of Yerucham, I happen to know who it is, but I'm not allowed to say who it is. But the letter appears in the Alei Shur. If you want to look it up, it's a letter that appears in the Alei Shur. Well, he himself was a very close Talmud of Yerucham. He writes a letter to his sons and daughters. And the letter, the purpose was to console them after he dies. He says, I don't know when I'm going to die, but the day will come when my place at home will be empty and you will be orphans, he writes to them. And then he says that I see many orphans in my life and they walk through life in darkness and without hope and some are jealous and they think that others have parents and not me. Some feel that their world has tumbled down and few are able to strengthen and to brace themselves to elevate themselves after the tragedy in their lives. And therefore, he wants to like create a letter for his child that will be like an eternal musrshmus for them, how they should properly react when he dies. Not to feel like pitiful orphans that feel like that they're stranded and that they're lost and they're deprived. And he writes like this, the key to the mystery of life is faith in Hashem. Hashem's power keeps the world going. Every blade of grass derives sustenance from the Creator and surely each human being. The spirit of life is the essence of everything and the most important part of a person is his spirit and his soul. And he says that if life would be over for a dead person, it would be difficult to comfort a mourner. But that is not so. He writes that although the body passes away, the person continues to exist. And then he quotes the Rabbi Yeruchim that we just said, that death is just moving from one city to another and the deceased is closer than before. One who has faith is able to deal with the concept of death. The truth is that the deceased is alive and he is aware of everything and he is as close to his relatives at all times as he ever was. And then he writes, yeah, but I'm not going to be at the table, so you're probably going to be bothered by that. I'm not going to be able to be here to advise you about things like I always was. And he says, no, I will be here to advise you about things because you know me already and you've learned the way that I respond to things, the way that I think, the way that I act. All of these things should be here for you even when I'm not physically here. And that will be itself the comfort and the guidance that you'll need. This is basically, in a nutshell, what death is. And I believe that Avraham Avinu, when he came, and the Pasuk says, By Yahweh Avraham, where did he come from? Says the Medrash Mehar Hamaria. Because Hamaria is the only place that a person can come from, either physically or mentally, to be able to properly place death in its true perspective. Haramariya, after all, as we said in the introduction, is the place where heaven touches earth. It's the place that's so close that the physical and the metaphysical 
sort of seamlessly blend. And that is the ultimate comfort when dealing with Barminan, with a situation that should never befall us. But when we have to deal with death, it has to be coming from Haramariya. Because Haramariya teaches us that the two worlds are not distant. Shamayim, we sit, when we speak about Shamayim, like we think of it, it's like, who knows? Well, you have to take a space shuttle to get to Shamayim. And it's not true. You just have to be at Haramariya. Haramariya is where, if you'd have the ability to see the spiritual, you would see heaven touching earth at Haramariya. And that's what death is. Death is, it's true, now that person is in Shamayim, but Shamayim is like closer than Chicago. Shamayim is so close. It's mamish an inch away from the earth. And that puts death in a much more comforting light. Death is not something that should be so traumatic that a person, you know, can't deal with it. Obviously, there is mourning, and a person has to go through the stages of mourning. When I, Loyaleinu, when I, son, lost my father about three years ago, so I was curious about, like, you know, what's, what's the, what, how do you, you know, I was very close with my father, extremely close, and I, you know, I, I didn't know what was ahead. I didn't know how I was going to be able to march on. I didn't know how, every day I called my father, and I, confided in him and I consulted with him and I took his advice and we every Friday he used to come here to the Shmuz on Friday the, the older Talmidim you know they, when they came to Menachemah they all said to me you know I just remember your father every Friday would come and sit in the back of the base Medrash by the Shmuz we'd drive from Long Beach and then afterwards we would go to one of the local eateries on Union Turnpike and, and, and eat lunch together and Shmuz and have a wonderful time together and It was difficult. My father suffered a lot at the end of his life, and he, you know, he had a very bad uh, machla, and, and, and I saw him suffering, and, and I didn't know how, and I, I looked it up, you know, in the books about, about, you know, what's like, what's ahead? And there was a person, I think it was a woman who was, I think, a very famous woman psychologist or psychiatrist, and she wrote a whole book about the different stages of mourning. And how a person, you know, first responds, you know, there's denial, and there's anger, and then there's, uh, you know, missing the person, and then, and then anger at the person, like the whole thing. And I was like, nah, it's fine. And then sure enough, like as I was going through it, I, it was like a menu, like it was like a, a checklist. Like I went through one stage to another. It's like really accurate. There's different stages that a person goes through, and that's part of the healing process that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives every human being to be able to deal with loss. I'm not saying that this is a layup. It's not easy at all. But if we really want to truly understand the right way to look at it, not the Gaiyusha way to look at it, but the right way to look at it, it's really that the, the loved one is still here. All that a person was able to get from a friend, from a parent, from an uncle, from a grandparent that you were close with, you still have that. My children, who were very young, you know, when my father died, they still remember him so fondly, and they remember, you know, they don't remember anything else, but they remember their opa. And they remember, you know, how he took them there, and how he babysat them here, and, you know, he brought them this, and he did that. 
he's still very much alive in their, in their minds and in my mind and in my, my mother's mind and in my sister's mind and uh, all of the mishpacha's mind and all of his friends they, they'll never be gone there's a life life doesn't end with death in a certain way you're closer but that's an important thing to understand Hara Maria is the ultimate Nechama Hara Maria shows us that heaven and earth are so close and the dead person, the deceased person, the departed person is not a million miles away. He's right here next to you, or she's right here next to you, guiding you, prodding you, giving you chizah, being proud of you, your accomplishments, rooting for you, feeling sorry for you when things are not going your way. Those are emotions and feelings that a person can have even after the person is no longer physically here, and perhaps even more so. I believe that that's why when Leilena we visit a, somebody in a shiva house, we, we bless them, we try to console them, we say, You should be comforted amongst all the mourners of Sien, all the mourners of the Churban Beis HaMikdash. But then we add another word, Yerushalayim. Now, I always thought Sien was Yerushalayim. What is that? You know, why add that extra word Yerushalayim? And I think that the greatest way to depart from, you know, to, to, to leave a, a mourner, to comfort, the most comforting word in the Jewish vernacular, to leave and allow to simmer and to marinate in the brain of a mourner, is Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim is the city where heaven and earth come together. And the mourner should understand that. The mourner should realize that you're coming from Hara Maria. I'm bringing you a piece of Hara Maria. When I'm comforting you, I'm telling you about Yerushalayim. And I'm telling you, Yerushalayim is where heaven and earth, it's an Irsha Chubr Layakhtav, it's one. And that's how you could still be with your loved one. Because, yes, they're in Shamayim, but Shamayim and Aretz are not far apart. Yerushalayim combines the two. And that's the ultimate Nechama for every mourner. I just want to end with, uh, with an amazingly powerful story that is also in one of my books, but not in Great Jewish Letters, and great Jewish speeches. And great Jewish speeches is also um, a book, but instead of dealing with the letters of G'dayli Yisrael, it deals with all the drushes and the messages that they gave us, Balpeh. One of the great heroes of the Holocaust was a very chashiv, a brilliant Tamil Chacham, Gadol by the name of Michal Ber Weissmandel. Michal Ber Weissmandel, he was a very heroic figure. He saved many Jews. He negotiated with Nazis. He did. He was a very, a, a very, very interesting personality. If you want to read an interesting book, you know, there are books put out about his life. Or you could just, you know, look him up online or something. You'll find out very, very interesting things about this man. And he lost his wife, his first wife, and five children in the Holocaust. 
And he came out of the war. He moved to America. He started a yeshiva, a very interesting yeshiva in a place called Mount Kisco. And in Mount Kisco, I remember hearing about this yeshiva. It was more of like a plantation type of yeshiva. Meaning like here, you know, in Lander, we basically, we come to yeshiva and you have, you know, your parents, you know, pay for it, scholarships pay for it, and, you know, and bagels are sent in the morning, and, you know, shimmins and lunch, and this and supper, and, you know, and everything sort of comes to you. He had a, a vision, you know, to create a yeshiva that's also at the same time a, um, like a, like a self-run uh, you know, environment like an ecosystem that you can sort of feed on your feed yourself. And so, in Mount Kisco, he had like chickens, and you know, and and they laid eggs, and they had you know, they had meat, and they had milk, and it was sort of like a self-sustaining environment. I'm sure they brought things from outside also, but it was that that's sort of like the type of yeshiva that he he founded in Mount Kisco. It's no longer there, but that was his yeshiva. And at the bris of his fifth son after the war. So he gave a whole drasha with a whole sheer about Mila, a very complex topic about Prismila and the, the lumdus behind it. And then at the end, he spoke words of Musar about the responsibility of raising children in the Terech HaTairah. And then he ended with the following words. He writes as follows. He said as follows. In the Kedusha, we say, that we should sanctify your name, Hashem, in this world. Just like they sanctify your name in the upper worlds, the Malachim, that's how we want to sanctify you below. So Rav Weissmandel says, I thought of a Kiddush. I thought of a novel interpretation for this prayer. He says, the angels recite the Kedusha prayer along with humans. It stands to reason that the departed righteous do so as well. When people die and they go up to Elam Haba, they're answering our prayers. They can only answer once we answer. And when they can only pray when we pray. And these righteous individuals are an even higher spiritual level than the angels. And they live the Shmei Marum. They live in the upper spheres of heaven. After we say in Shmei Esrei about Tchiyas HaMesim, Mechaya HaMesim, that's when we say Kaddish. And that's what we say in the Kaddish HaShim Chabaylam, Keshem Shratish HaMesim Marum. They will call to each other. What will they say? Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish. They say, holy, holy, holy is Hashem. And those righteous departed ones, the tzaddikim that died, they are saying it in unison with Kal Yisrael. They're, we're all together saying a Kedusha prayer. He says, now I have been blessed with my fifth child in this post-war era. My five children here parallel the five children that I lost during the Holocaust who were killed al Kiddush Hashem. Those, tri- those five children from before the war are sanctifying His name in the upper spheres of heaven along with all the other Kedushim and all the Malachim. 
And may Hashem now allow that the five should parallel the five. That my children in this world, that my five children here, should recite the Kedusha together with their siblings in heaven. And that they will call one to another and say, Kadesh, 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 Hashem Tzavakis. And I think this is like such a, an appropriate way to end the Shmuz. Because your vice Mandel saw that the two worlds were sort of touching each other. And that it's not like, okay, there was, there's dead people and there's living people and there's a huge gap that separates the two. He says, I have all of my ten children. Some of the children are in Shemayim. Some of the children are here, but we're all together. And we're saying the Kaddish Hashim Chavaylam. We're reciting Kedushah Kishim Zorkishim Maisebishmeimarim. People that are no longer here and people that are here are really all together in a certain way. That's the Torah's perspective. That's the perspective of Yerushalayim. That heaven and earth are really one. And people alive and people no longer alive are also one. And we can have all of the closeness and all the fondness and all the love for people that are no longer here perhaps even more than when they were here on a certain level. And this is, I believe, the importance of this parasha which teaches us about death. But yet, what's the name of the parasha? Chaye Sarah. Talking about her dying. Why are we calling it Chaye Sarah? Because to a yid, death is life. When a person dies, that's just another chapter of their life. It's not to be looked at in any which way in a different way, but rather it's a certain type of life that is on a higher level, but it's still very close to us here down on earth. Mitz Hashem, we should never know from any tsaris, but it's important for us to know this, to prepare ourselves, to brace ourselves for all of a long life that we undoubtedly, as part of life, will encounter death in one form or another because that's part of life. And it's important for us to get the proper ashkafa when dealing with mourning and, and avelos. And it takes the perspective of Yerushalayim, of Ayavay Avram, that Avram Avinu always came when he was being misabel from a place called Har Hamaria.